So we reached the uh, third in our Reaching Out series, and today's title is Let Your Integrity Speak. We're going to read a few verses from Matthew's Gospel, um, Matthew chapter 5, another part of the Sermon on the Mount, and Matthew 5 and verse 13. You are the salt of the earth, but if salt loses its saltiness, how can it be made salty again? It is no longer good for anything except to be thrown out and trampled underfoot. You are the light of the world. A town built on a hill cannot be hidden. Neither do people light a lamp and put it under a bowl. Instead, they put it on its stand, and it gives light to everyone in the house. In the same way, let your light shine before others, that they may see your good deeds and glorify your Father in heaven. Well, thanks to uh, Lawrence and the team for leading us in worship this morning. That's been really great. Came across this story the other day. Um, an evangelist was taking a meeting one day, and uh, he uh, asked the congregation, he said, uh, who wants to go to heaven? Raise your hands. Everyone in the audience did so, except for one elderly man sitting near the front of the auditorium. And the preacher pointed his finger at him and said, Sir, do you mean to tell us that you don't want to uh, go to heaven? Sure, he said, I want to go to heaven. But the way you put the question, I figured you were getting up a busload for tonight. <laughs> Strange the world that we live in today, isn't it? And uh, we've seen some incredible scenes in our political world. We've seen politicians being taken down. We've been seeing people in the police force that we've trusted over the years being held to account for their actions, and rightly so. And then there's this uh, recent thing of Gary Lineker and the words he spoke. Uh, but it seems to me that we want to hold other people to uh, a standard of integrity. Uh, that, but when it comes to us, it perhaps changes a little bit. You know, I'm, I'm in the car park. And uh, in Waitrose, and I, I opened my car door against another car, and instead of leaving a note explaining the scratch with my phone number, I drive off. Or I'm at the checkout, and the assistant gives me back too much change. Actually, it's probably a misnomer because I'm probably paying with a card anyway. Um, but I happily accept the extra cash and never say a word. You see, it's hypocrisy, isn't it? And it's hypocrisy where we can hold others to account, but actually, we're not responsible, seemingly not responsible for our own actions. And Jesus, you may remember, spent a lot of time calling hypocrites to account. He lived, he alone has lived a totally sincere life and calls us to allow his life by the Spirit to flow through us. But what a strange world it is because if you look at the, you re listen to the news, you look at the papers, and you find that there are people in the midst of our world who are looking for reality. They're, they're fed up with fake news and insincerity. And the universal truth that was once held and was badly compromised during the time we call the postmodern age, when any truth was possible, we now seem to be living in what they call a meta-modern age, where once again there's a yearning for an all-embracing truth. Because, you know, if we ditch the boundaries like the Ten Commandments, then actually anything goes. And we pray to any dictator who wants to rid his country of anything or anyone who opposes his regime. Maybe like Hitler, maybe like Pol Pot, 
or maybe like the military junta at the moment in Myanmar. They suggested final solutions to rid themselves of people that don't quite fit their mould. And the door is also open, isn't it, when you don't have those boundaries for any megalomaniac who wants to push his borders into a neighbouring country's territory. How are we going to reach out in this strange world in which we live? How are we going to evangelize and share the good news? You know, and we may bemoan our sort of situation, but actually think back to the first century. How hard was it for those early disciples to reach out with the good news in a, in a society which was ridden with religiosity, but not a lot of faith? How did they cut through the culture of their time, risking their lives in order to bring the good news to an ungodly first century world? It's always been tough to reach out with the gospel. Always been tough, and we're called to persevere in that. Look at the church in China today. Conservatively, it numbers nearly 97 million people. Under communist rule, trying to stamp out the church, the church has not been stamped out. It's grown exponentially. It's tough in our world to share in the, in the West. But what about in some of these other countries? What about if you're in North Korea? Or even to mention the name of Jesus, or even suggest that you had a Bible, or even a, a bit of the Bible, you might end up in a slave labor camp where there are 70 other thousand other Christians there. But there's two important things as we seek to reach out in our world. And that is to remember that there's an integrity in the message which we dare not compromise. In recent weeks, before this series, we were looking at the Galatian church. And you remember Paul's entreaty to the Galatian church. He was quite insistent that the message he preached could not be compromised. It could be compromised to appease the Judaizers, the people that were demanding that Christians would uh, maintain their adherence to the Mosaic law and the Gentile converts should be circumcised. Paul was quite clear on this. This was not the true gospel of grace, but a false gospel. Galatians 1.6 says, I'm astonished that you are so quickly deserting the one who called you to live in the grace of Christ and are turning to a different gospel, which is really no gospel at all. It's clear that we have to stick to the clear mandate of the gospel, as explained in the New Testament. Sometime, take a little exercise and look at the book of Acts and look at each time the gospel is preached in various circumstances, and look at what was said, because it has a, a basic pattern to it. I remember that when I was much younger as a Christian, in my teenage years, we used to say to people, oh, come and trust in Jesus, you know, you'll find peace and happiness, and everything's going to be fine and dandy <coughs> once you come to Jesus. Sounds great, but it's not true. Because if you come to Jesus, your problems won't disappear, you just get a whole set of new ones. But you have to in that situation, know that there's someone who will walk with you through those problems, through those tough times. There's always a cost in following God's ways. Jesus said to his disciples, whoever wants to be my disciple must deny themselves, take up their cross, and follow me. It's a tough message, isn't it? Some may proclaim a message which says, come to Jesus and he'll sort out all your money problems. After all, doesn't his father own the cattle on a thousand hills? If you believe that rubbish... What can you say to your impoverished brothers and sisters in India, in Africa, in South America? Perhaps they didn't have enough faith. Those that are seeking to come to Europe and running from their own countries, why are they doing it? 
Some of them were Christians. John adds in his book of Revelation, in chapter 22, the very last chapter in the Bible, he says, we're not at liberty to add or subtract from the truth of God's word. Have you ever wondered why there are so many cults and isms in our modern world? You know, it's estimated that in the UK alone, there are 2,000 cult groups that operate in this country, in this, our UK. They didn't set out to pervert the truth. They didn't set out to make things difficult. They were okay at the beginning, or many of them, but they gradually altered things to suit themselves. They moved from truth to error. Now, there may just be a few people here that are as old as I am uh, in this congregation this morning, and remember the year 1978. 1978, in Jonestown, Guyana, Jim Jones, who was an ordained Pentecostal minister, very involved in the civil rights movement, founded a thing called the People's Temple. It deviated gradually from Christian belief. They moved the group to Guyana, and there were human reports of human rights abuse, accusations of people being held against their will. But on the 18th of November, 1978, 909 people, several hundred being children, took a fruit drink laced with cyanide and died in a mass murder-suicide. Folks, we can't meddle with the message. It's God's good news, and our task is to share it in integrity. We can't monkey around with it. The message is fundamentally God's message of grace, sent from the throne room of heaven. It's about his son Jesus, who left the glory of that heavenly realm and came in human flesh, lived amongst us an exemplary holy life, and died on a rough wooden cross and took the punishment of our sinful behavior upon himself. But he didn't stay dead. He came back to life. On the third day, he arose from the grave, and he awaits now our response of turning away from our old ways and putting our full confidence in him. Peter, speaking to the crowds on the day of Pentecost, when asked, what shall we do? His response was, repent, turn around. Turn away from the way you're going at the moment. Believe in order for your sins to be forgiven. And that was demonstrated in the act of baptism. This glorious message that we have, which has been delivered to us, demands integrity. Because this message changes lives. A friend of mine was pursuing a life of crime and drugs and found himself at his, Her Majesty's pleasure in Portland Prison. And one evening, a fellow prisoner invited him to a service in the chapel. That night, he heard stories from his fellow inmates about how they'd found faith. They had a very large commercial rubbish bin in the chapel that night, sort of thing you see behind shops very often, and it was filled with water. And these guys were talking about how they'd found Christ, or Christ had found them, and then they were baptised by immersion in this bin, demonstrating their faith. Colin was sandwiched between the rubbish container and the wall, and he heard the call of God to forsake his old life and follow Jesus. And that night, as the service closed, slid off his jeans and his T-shirt and demanded to be baptised. He later trained at Moreland's and has spent much of his life ministering to addicts in South Africa and in the UK. And strangely enough, this is God's sense of humour, I think, he married a South African lawyer and as, as an ex-South African police chief of his father-in-law, God moves in mysterious ways. But what made the difference to his life? The life-changing power of the gospel. 
J. John said this once, if you want to share the gospel with confidence, you have to have confidence in the gospel. That this gospel is God's gospel. And it works. But then you need integrity, secondly, in the messenger, in the messenger itself. You see, in our Bible passage this morning, Jesus teaches his followers that they're to be salt and light in the world. A very familiar passage. Jesus is teaching that his disciples are going to be visible, as visible as a city set on a hill, as visible as a light set on a stand in the home. They're to burn brightly. They're to shine. They're to display the good news about Jesus. The call is not to hide, but to openly display Jesus and his life to our world. So Jesus mentions about being salt and light. You see, and salt in the ancient world was very important to them. They use it to flavour food, much as we do today. But it's also used as a preservative and a cleansing agent too. What is Jesus saying to us today? Our lives should display his likeness, so much so that we act like antiseptic in our world. And the quality of life shown through us, for all to see, is to shine out for his glory. But if you know if we're pretending, if we're living as hypocrites, it will be seen by a world which is desperate for reality, and they'll see the difference. They'll spot it. I always remember when I was teaching years ago that um, we had a person in the ch uh, who was uh, a teacher in the school who um, was an interesting character. He went to church, but didn't seem to show up very much in the way he lived. And I can remember being on the playground and the kids would come up sometimes and they'd say, you know, so-and-so was telling us about how to live and, and yet he doesn't live the same way himself. And the kids had seen the difference, had seen the hypocrisy. The question is, as salt, have we lost our pungency? As light, have we lost our <coughs> brightness? So in a world searching for authenticity and reality, we need to display Jesus in our words and our lifestyle the integrity of this message, the integrity of our Saviour. You know, it's futile just to talk the talk. You need to walk the walk. People around us are not fooled by hypocrisy for very long. And Jesus came to this earth and displayed not only the power of his Father, but the life of the Father. You see, Philip came to him one day and said to him, Jesus, can, can you show us the Father? And Jesus' reply was this, have I been with you all this time, Philip, and you still don't know who I am? Anyone who has seen me has seen the Father. So why are you asking me to show him to you? Someone comes to you today and says, can you show me Jesus? Can you show me what God is like? They should be able to point at your life and see something of the reality there in your life. The method we use to communicate will always need to be tempered by love. It's not about getting notches on our belt of people that we've won for the Lord. It's about demonstrating an effective love of the gospel of grace, that Jesus' life is allowed to shine through us. And you know, the incarnation gives us a brilliant clue as to what it is to, it to be all about. You see, Jesus came from heaven. He took on human flesh. He came to walk amongst us, to live amongst us, to be like us, but to be different from us. And he came to be the, the, the gospel personified in human flesh. 
And people are looking for that. They're looking for that transformation in our lives. The demonstration. John puts it like this uh, in his first letter. That which was from the beginning, that which we have heard, which we've seen with our eyes, and that we've touched, looked at, and our hands have touched, this we proclaim concerning the word of life. You see, John was saying, look, we haven't just heard Jesus. We've seen him. We've been with him. We've listened to him, but we've actually been able to touch him. He's been real, and people are looking for reality, the reality of our lives today. Read again sometime those beautiful words in Philippians 2, which is a description of how Jesus came and moved amongst us. How does this work out in real life? Maybe you could join just an ordinary club or a physical activity group. If you do, take your time to show other people that you're concerned about them as people, not just souls to be saved. I know many of you are actually doing this, so that's great. I always remember when I was, uh, I used to do refereeing for Morelands in their football games in the so-called so Christian League of Bournemouth. I tell you, it wasn't very Christian. Um, Chris also used to, uh, I used to referee him sometimes as well. That was a job and a half. Um, but, you know, it, it's interesting. I used to say sometimes to the students, why don't you go and join a secular club? Why don't you just you do join any other club bar a Christian club and maybe you could shine, shine your light as a Christian in that situation. Maybe that's better than being with this group of people who call themselves Christians and act like hooligans on the pitch. <laughs> Always remember the, the words of advice from Lawrence Singlehurst who says in his book Sowing, Reaping, Keeping, a good farmer having planted the seed allows time for the seed to grow, to germinate and the harvest may be many months. Look, Perhaps you remember, perhaps you saw the fields in the autumn time, last autumn. You saw the tractors going around. You saw the, the, the farmers planting their seed. And if you look at the fields now, what do you see? You see this carpet of green as it's germinating. But it won't be till July, perhaps a little bit before, maybe August, that you'll see that harvest come in. Don't rush the harvest when you're seeking to win someone for Christ. Don't rush it. Take time. Take time to examine how Jesus did it. He often used an everyday illustration to gain access to people. Do you remember John 4? What does he do? He sits, he perches on the edge of a well, and he's waiting for that woman. He knew that woman was coming. He was well aware that she'd be coming at, at noon to, in the heat of the day to get her water pot to, filled. But he waits. And he doesn't say, are you saved? Are you washed in the blood of the Lamb? That's not his, his response, is it? What does he say? Can you give me a drink? Be normal, be natural. Don't be super spiritual about it. How did he commence discussions with people so often? Just read through the Gospels and see how Jesus did it. Moving the conversation onto spiritual matters. Now, there are some of you who are absolutely brilliant at doing this. I know there's somebody who was in the first service, and I know this lady is absolutely outstanding at doing this. She'll see somebody sitting on a seat and she's walking along and she'll go and sit next to them. And in a few moments, she's sharing the gospel with them. How does she do it? It's amazing. It's a gift of God. It's part of her DNA. I'm not one of those sort of people. But you've got to be sure of how God is leading you. Don't copy others, but use God's gracious gifts to develop your own self. And mostly it's about listening for the whisper of the Spirit. What's the Spirit saying? In this situation what does he want you to do in this particular situation listen 
for what God says. Remember the story of Philip? Philip having a, involved in a, a marvelous uh, uh, revival up in Samaria. And God just whispers into his heart one day and says, leave all this jamboree that's going up here. Go down to Gaza. I've got someone I want you to speak to. And listen to what God has to say. There's a guy I met some years ago who used to be the CEO of the, the Gideon organization. He told me this story about how he was traveling on a train one day. And uh, on the seat opposite to him sat down this guy who was covered in tattoos and body piercings. And his hair was in the style of a Mohican. Not the sort of person this nicely dressed middle-aged man would actually associate with. But suddenly he got a prompt from God. And he rose up from his seat and said to the young man, I'm going down to the buffet car. I'm going to get myself a drink and a pastry. Can I bring you something? And the young man said, yes, please. And when he came back and shared with him these goodies he'd bought down at the buffet car, there was a brilliant conversation which ensued. And the gospel was shared very naturally because he was listening to what the Spirit was telling him to do. The other thing I noticed about Jesus is he always asked questions. Someone's calculated that he actually asked 307 questions in the gospels. Who, who, who does this, these calculations? I don't know. But another person said this, Jesus never asked a question because he needed to know the answer. He used questions the way that a surgeon uses a scalpel to delicately cut into a new level of understanding. Ask a sincere question. Move your conversation onto a deeper level. Make sure you listen to the responses of the person that you're with. You know, as Christians, we're really good at uh, talking, aren't we? Mouth, 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 mouth. James puts it this way. Lead with your ears, follow up with your tongue, and let anger straggle behind in the rear. That's the message version of James 1.19. Cultivate a respectful attitude. Stay humble. Let your integrity show in the way that you listen. I can remember, uh, I'm going to embarrass Lawrence now, uh, I... Um, I was on a train traveling to London one day and sitting next to this guy and he told me he was a metropolitan policeman who was traveling from Basingstoke to his duties in London. And uh, we moved on the conversation and I thought, how am I going to reach him and talk to him, begin something sensible with him? And uh, <laughs> uh, he uh, told me about his life and what was going on. He said, what do you do? Now, I could have said, well, I'm a Christian evangelist, teacher, a preacher, and it would have meant nothing to him. So I just said to him, it came off the top of my head, I don't know where it came from, and uh, I said, uh, I actually spend my time throwing um, uh, starfish back into the sea. He looked at me as if I was mad. And then I told him the story about the little guy in America who was found on the beach after a storm, and there were starfish that had been sent up onto the beach, and he just threw them back into the water. And someone said to him, well, you can't do all of these. He said, no, but I can make a difference to that one, can't I? And I explained to him how I spend time with people like Lawrence, and I can make, perhaps make a difference by talking, sharing, listening. And that was a way into a conversation that opened up a door, which uh, I hadn't quite thought about before. Then the other thing to say, and I'm getting towards the end now, is remain positive. Just imagine the scene in the centre of Bournemouth. Someone comes up to you and says, can you direct me to the BIC? Now, you don't 
stand there and rant and rave at them, do you? You stupid person. How could you get lost in Bournemouth? What sort of idiot are you? Not that you can't find your way. Of course you don't. You politely say, it's this way, that way, that way. Why do Christians condemn people and don't show grace? The only people Jesus took to task in this sort of way were the religious leaders of his time. He always showed love and mercy to even those that were seeking truth. And even the woman taken in the very act of adultery, he said, go and sin no more. He didn't condemn her. Don't let's be those that condemn, but those that communicate grace. In summary, be honest and open. Don't be a fake. Take time to get alongside people. Learn how to move the conversation onto spiritual things. Ask questions. Listen carefully. Be positive. And remember, your story is powerful and it's important. It's your story with God and you can share it. You don't sit there with somebody and say, I just want to give you my testimony. You want to talk to them about your story, the journey in spiritual discovery that you have had so far. Talk to them in that sort of way, in words that they'll understand. Oliver Wendell Holmes once said this, Actually, Kay quoted him the other week in one of her sermons. I might have entered ministry if certain clergymen I knew had not looked and acted so much like undertakers. <laughs> Do you want some integrity in the way you reach out? Stick to the message as proclaimed by Jesus and the apostles. Make sure the grace of God is coming through and it's authentic and live that life so that God's grace is shining through. Let the love and the reality of Jesus shine through your life. Yes, there'll be words you'll need to add to it. But please, please show that joy. You know, the one thing which will affect our world in a world which is pretty joyless is the joy of Jesus shining through your life. Please don't be like these Christians who, who seem to make a habit of having such a condemning face. It's almost as if they've got a, a problem with constipation or something. Have a face which is shining and bright and shines to Jesus. Let me tell you one last story as I finish. Um, a woman was being seriously tailgated by a motorist behind her. It was a busy street, and they came to a crossroads where there were traffic lights. The woman stopped as the lights were changing to amber, much to the fury of the impatient man behind. He sounded his horn, he screamed and shouted obscenities at the driver in front. He was late for a meeting, and he believed he, he could have been able to run the lights. Just as in the middle of a rant, there was a knock on his, wind, on his uh, side window. And the uh, person indicated wound down the window. And as he looked, he found himself looking into the face of a very serious police officer. Would you mind stepping out of the car, he said, with your hands raised. The policeman took the man to a nearby police station. And after fingerprinting, mugshots, and a thorough by body search, the man was put into a holding cell for two hours. Later, a policeman took the impatient motorist to the front desk to collect his mobile and personal effects. And the first policeman was there, and he apologised for the inconvenience. You see, he said, I, when I pulled up behind your car, you were blowing your horn, you were flipping the person in front off, and you were cussing her with an amazing vocabulary of swear words. Then I noticed you had a bumper sticker which said, what would Jesus do? And another one which said, follow me to church. There was also a chrome-plated Christian fish badge fixed to the boot lid. I assumed that you'd stolen the car. <laughs> what would they think of us? 
in the way that we act, the way that we behave, would they see that life of Jesus, the integrity of that message being lived out through our lives? Father God, thank you. Thank you that you're a great God. Thank you that you, uh, as we've been singing this morning, we've been singing your praises about your greatness and your mercy, your brilliantness. Lord, I pray you'd help us to just hold on to that integrity of the message, that beautiful message of salvation. May the grace shine through in what we say and what we do. May people see that we're different because Jesus is living in us. Lord, make us, help us make a difference this week. Give us those opportunities this week just to speak of you, to listen to your whisper, and to hear what you're telling us to do. We pray that in Jesus' name.